Good morning, church. Uh, I'm one of the elders. My name is Andrew Wan. So now you know that the elders does more than sitting down. Uh, they say there are two kinds of uh, preachers. One kind has something to say, and the other has to say something. One is focused, and the other is not. So this morning, it's a privilege to bring God's message to you. This is not an easy passage. Uh, Aggie, you did a good job uh, reading it. Um, and secondly, we really have to keep God's big picture in mind. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. But before that, let's ask the Lord to lead us. Let's pray. Dear God, help us today as we look into your word. May your spirit open our hearts and enlighten us to your word this morning. As we can see, um, we are on the last in the series of the, in the Old Testament, God's prophesied kingdom. And the theme uh, this morning is exile. And let's recap what we learned last week. Well, we started with uh, God's creation. We saw the fall in the Garden of Eden, the promise made to Abraham, the rescue from Egypt. And last week, it was the temple uh, which was built during the time of King Solomon. Here we see at the top of the arrow there, it's the pinnacle of the kingdom. And this week, we'll be covering the exile, which is at the bottom. Uh, and as we can see, cracks uh, began to appear after the death of King Solomon. The ten tribes broke away under Jeroboam I and formed the northern kingdom. And the remaining two tribes um, formed the southern kingdom of Judah. The heart of the people began to be attracted to the nations around them. Uh, Solomon had many foreign wives, and they brought with them many foreign gods. Now, as we look at the prophesied kingdom today, we see that God sent prophets to the divided kingdom. So that, that's the same as well, because from the very beginning, you find that God actually sent Moses and Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, and so on. So even in the divided kingdom, we can see the list of prophets. And of course, Hosea is actually one of the prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel, together with Amos. And of course, uh, in verse 1, as we have read, he was actually a prophet in the time of King Jeroboam, the second, not the first one. In the Old Testament, we have 17 books of prophecy. Five books are the major uh, prophets and 12 we call the minor prophets. They are called major and minor, not because one is more important than the other. The major is not more important than the minor, but the length of the books are actually quite uh, different because they are shorter in the minor prophets. So let's delve into the book of Hosea this morning. I'm going to cover three points. The call to marriage, the consequences of unfaithfulness, and the coming restoration. The first point, the call to marriage. We read in verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take to yourself wife of Hordom, Hordom, 
for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. It's a very unusual calling, unusual because it is very vivid, it's very strong, it's a very provocative language. The issue for us as Christians is that it comes from God. So Hosea was called to go and take this wife of whoredom, have children of whoredom. And um, the ESV version tells us, uh, wife of whoredom, in the NIV version of the Bible, tells us uh, a promiscuous wife. So why does God actually command Hosea to do this? It is, seems that it's morally incompatible with the character of God. So to preempt uh, the Q&A questions, I'll give a brief response. If it bothers you, it has bothered Bible scholars as well. There is no clear answer and different scholars have different views. And when we look at the Hebrew word for whoredom or zonum, it means that it's promiscuous, as we said, or immoral, suggesting that it is really not a profession of a prostitute. So, so, so God didn't call Hosea to marry a prostitute, as many of us think, but it's, it points to a character or a tendency. So this could imply that Goma was basically not a prostitute and that she has a tendency uh, towards promiscuity. Uh, but others feel that uh, Goma had actually committed an immorality and she was not a virgin. Uh, but the Bible does not make it clear either way. Uh, but there is a purpose that God is doing this. He's showing Israel that they have committed prostitution by forsaking the Lord. Although Hosea was faithful to his vows, but as we know, Goma, his wife, was not. She followed her immoral desires and started to have many affairs. And we read this in chapter 2, which is a very vivid and graphic description of uh, the adulteries that um, Goma did uh, to Hosea. It must have been a very difficult time for Hosea as he faithfully served God. His life was open to everyone in the public. It was an open book for everyone to see uh, how the nation has forsaken God and gone after gods of other nations. But the people said, hey, wait a minute, Hosea, what are, what are you talking about? At this time, at this period of history, under King Jeroboam II, the times were good. The period was often termed the second golden age. There was wealth, there was prosperity, there was unity and stability. The people were living long and the people were happy. God is blessing them. How could Hosea be saying they are unfaithful when they are enjoying the blessings of God, right? Yeah, so outwardly, it seems they were thriving and prospering, but inwardly, they were actually spiritually bankrupt. And as always, in the case of prosperity, pride and greed are never far behind. And the people were thinking, look how good everything is, how well we have done as a nation, and they began to forget God. You know, when I look around this morning at our 
audience, all of you look very neat and proper today. And some of you are so well dressed that you've come with suit and tie and coming to church in your best attire. I guess every one of you looked into your mirror today. As for seniors, I think this was what I saw this morning. Of course, my excuse was that it's an eyesight thing, right? It's an eyesight thing. The mirror allows us to look at any of the blemishes or imperfections that we have. Uh, can you imagine going through life without a mirror? Can you imagine going on a date or an interview or a wedding without looking at yourself in the mirror? And the ladies, of course, will agree that there's no way you want me to go out without looking and checking that I've got my lipstick in the right place, eyelashes, makeup, or whatever you do. Um, and of course, us, for us seniors, older folks, we like the mirror to count the number of hairs that are still remaining, <laughs> and maybe the number of teeth as well. Um, so the mirror has become so indispensable that unconsciously it's become part of our life. Do you know, God has given us a mirror for our souls. That mirror is the Word of God, the Bible. God reminds us as we look at the mirror of the Bible, we can see spots and marks on our spiritual life. But it will not benefit us if we don't do anything about it. And we are reminded in the book of James that, you know, for anyone who is a hearer of the word or a, next slide please, or a doer, is not a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Looking at the mirror helps if you walk away and do something. If you do nothing about it, it's not going to help. And when you hear the word of God, it should drive us to act accordingly. We just don't ignore God's word and walk away. In Hosea's marriage, Hosea gave Goma the love of a husband and the security of a home. But Goma just walked away from it. The vows of faithfulness, of love, of commitment made in the marriage was discarded as Goma committed adulterous affairs. Like a person who looked in the mirror and walked away. Can you imagine what Hosea must have felt? The sense of betrayal, sense of loss of trust, the feelings of rejection. And this is what Israel did to God. They have forgotten that they are a special people. They've forgotten that they are kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They've forgotten God's covenants and they've adopted the wicked and pagan practices of the surrounding nations. But, and as a result, there are consequences to pay. The consequences of unfaithfulness is played out in Hosea's family. Hosea's children came along and God tells Hosea 
And the Lord said to him, the firstborn, a son, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while, while I punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Wow, that's a lot in that verse. I need to unpack it. So the first child was a son. His name was Jezreel. What does it mean? Jezreel has a double meaning. Here in the context, the blood of Jezreel refers to a place where a bloody massacre was committed by Jehu. Jehu was an ancestor of the present king, Jeroboam II. Now, what is it that Jehu did that was so bad? In 2 Kings 9, we find that Jehu was acting on God's instructions in getting rid of the evil in the land. He killed this evil queen, Jezebel, Jezebel, in this place called Jezreel. So this this is the place, Jezreel. Uh, And uh, what happened? The problem is that instead of just getting rid of the evil king and queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he took matters into his own hand and he went on a killing, killing spree. He wiped out all the opposition so that he could be king. And there was a lot of blood spilt in the place called Jezreel. And the people remembered the bloodshed. So Jezreel's eldest son's name is equivalent to bloodshed or a battlefield. And God's um, prophecy on, in verse 5 says it will happen on that day God is actually going to punish Israel by breaking the bow, meaning that the armies will be defeated, the bow being the bow and arrow, in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, God is going to hold Jehu and his ancestors accountable, oh sorry, sorry, his descendants, not ancestors, descendants accountable for the uh, innocent blood that was shed. And, And so it's not only just the sin of Jehu, but of course Israel's kings were also evil as well. And we look at their children, uh, they look very cute, but their names are not. Uh, Jezreel means, of course, uh, bloodshed. Second child was a girl in verse 6. The Lord named her Lo Ruhama, which means no mercy or no pity. This daughter's name is another warning to Israel. In fact, God is saying he's going to withhold his hand of mercy and forgiveness from the nation. And in addition, there will be no mercy that will be shown by their enemies. In verse 8, Gomer conceived and had another child. It's a son called Loemmi, which means not my people. This should be actually a wake-up call for the nation. They've always seen themselves as the people of God, as chosen of God. Now God says, you are not my people. And God reminds them that if they persist in their sins, they will forfeit the rights and privileges of God's people. Can you imagine how hard it is? children to live with names like that 
Glad Pastor Devin didn't get the call. Children with such terrible names. Can you imagine every time you see Hosea's children coming? Oh, there's bloodshed coming round the corner. Let's run. Or you see, oh, no mercy is coming. Let's hide. Or, oh, not my people is there. Let's go the other way. Or when you visit the home of uh, the prophet Hosea, and you ask Hosea, hey, Hosea, how's the children coming along? He would say, oh, bloodshed, bloodshed is attending the sheep, or no mercy is in school, or not my people is washing the dishes. And not a very pleasant home to visit. My wife and I often drive to our favorite shops for groceries and for a meal, and I enjoy the drive. You know, every time we drive, most certainly I would hear 40, 40, 40, or 60, 60, 60. Next slide, please. <laughs> and this is my dear wife telling me, hey, this is a 40 kilometer zone. Slow down, or 60. Uh, uh, to be honest, uh, I don't like it. I tend to justify myself. I say, uh, you know, I, I know, I know. And to be honest, you know, it, it's very irritating for me. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to be in control. And of course, until the next car, the car next to me starts going down at the same speed and I see the traffic lights flashing, and that guy's copped it. That's a $400 speeding fine. What a relief when you, when you see that. <laughs> I, I could be paying that $400 if the 40-40-40 didn't occur or the 60-60. Uh, that's, that's a big hit. And you get the picture, of course. And I thank God for my wife, Michelle. She's not here today. She's in Sunday school. My own personal speed warning system. Have you ever wondered what warning signs God is putting up in your life? What is God telling you to stop, to pray? Don't rush into it. And perhaps a habitual sin that only you know about, you just need to stop. Or perhaps it's a relationship with a non-Christian boy or girl. Uh, perhaps it's an addiction to internet pornography or online gaming. Are there warning signs in your life that God is trying to tell you this morning? Hosea's children's name are a powerful reminder to Israel of the coming judgment. It's a warning for them. They need to do something about it. And guess what? Just like the guy looking at the mirror, I'm glad most of you actually looked at the mirror and did something about it. They didn't do anything. They paid no attention to God's warnings. And the prosperity of Israel did not last. The northern kingdom, after 20 years, after the death of King Jeroboam in 722, the Assyrians came, destroyed Samaria, took the people into slavery, 
and they never returned to the land again, as predicted by Hosea, breaking the bow of Israel. And Hosea was probably alive at the time when he saw these prophecies come true. He saw the bloodshed, he saw the merciless battle as the city was ravaged and razed to the ground. And for Judah, the southern kingdom, God gave them a little bit more mercy, and we read this in verse 7. I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them, not, I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war and so on. This points to the supernatural victory from God. When the Assyrians, after they've conquered uh, Samaria, they were coming down to Jerusalem. They were not saved by military might, but it was saved by the supernatural intervention of God. That's in 2 Kings 19. And even Judah did not last. They had a few good kings, but in 586 BC, the Babylonians came. They destroyed Jerusalem and took them into exile in Babylon. Can you imagine in the exile? The people of God has now lost their status as a special people. They have no land. It's all utterly destroyed. They have no king. They are nobody in a foreign land. And as they cry out to God, God still have his prophets in the exile. Remember um, prophets? Um, Ezekiel and Daniel, God comes and gives them hope for the future. The last point is the coming restoration, which we read in verse 10 of chapter 1. The restoration comes with the word yet. Can you see the first word there? Yet. This is God saying, don't switch off the lights. I'm not true yet. There is more to come. So this is the key to what is going to happen in future. And remember, Hosea is still living in Israel. The destruction of Israel hasn't happened yet. Verse 11, it says that this will happen in the day of Jezreel, in the future. The day of Jezreel, what does it mean? Jezreel means now the second meaning. Uh, now the day of Jezreel is no longer a place, it's a time. It's a time of sowing. It's a time of multiplication. And it will be a great time, a time in the future. On this day of Jezreel, can you see the names now? Thank God the children said, I'm glad now I'm going to get some new names. Can you see Jezreel is now the day of sowing, the day of increase, the day of multiplication. The name No Percy is now going to receive mercy in chapter 2 verse 1. Not my people will become my people, children of the living God. That's the future hope. And when we put this together, looking into the future, what can we see about God's people, God's place, and God's rule and blessing? They will become a nation again. Verse 10. There will be many more from all nations. They will be countless like the sand of the sea. 
pointing to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, Exodus 22. God's people will be the new Israel. They'll be called the children of the living God. And God's place, they will return to the promised land Canaan in the place where they are not a people, the place that's destroyed. They will come back again. The same place as the children of the living God. And thirdly, God's rule and blessing in verse 11, they will be united again as one nation. Judah and Israel will become one. But that's also, there will be a one head or one leader who will lead them, pointing to the Davidic covenant. God is going to establish David's offspring and continue the kingdom forever, pointing to what's coming, Jesus, God's appointed king. So God shows mercy even in the exile, in being loving and being patient and he continues to give hope to his people. And see now how this is played out in the life of Hosea. Look at chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So nothing against any of you who love, has a sweet tooth, going to like uh, cakes and uh, raisin cakes, this is cakes that are offered to idols. So that's, um, that's what it is in the context of the verse. And you can hear what Hosea would feel. What, Lord, you want me to go again and love Goma after what she's done to me? He could have divorced Goma a long time ago, but he clung on. He went. Trusting in God, he went to look for his wife. You can picture the scene. Goma is no longer young and attractive. Next slide, please. <laughs> Her beauty is long gone. Her sin is now wrinkled, hair graying, body is old, worn, showing the consequences of immorality. She, and it, you read in verse 2, she's no longer free, but she is actually enslaved to a born master. She had fallen on hard times. She's really down in the pits. Uh, all she can look forward to is to work and work and die. And as she recalls the past, we can actually feel her tears of regret and pain and sorrow running down her tired and wrinkled face. And as she peers into the light, there is this solitary figure of a man, her husband, Hosea, putting out 15 shekels of silver, the homer and a litek of barley. That's one and a half mule worth of barley. It was a heavy price to pay. It was sacrificial. The price of redemption for a slave. And as Hosea carries the broken and tired and weary Gomer home, Gomer does not resist. There is no more words to express the love, the tenderness, and the gratitude that she must have felt. And I said to her in verse uh, 2, you must dwell as mine, verse 3, sorry, 
you must dwell as a mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. You can see that here, Hosea restored Gomer's identity. She will be Hosea's wife, not a slave. He restored her integrity. Her life of prostitution will end and she will be restored back into Hosea's family. What an incredible picture of unrelenting, selfless, sacrificial love. The picture of redemption by Hosea is a pointer to the future redemption to come. The same unrelenting, selfless, sacrificial love that is demonstrated on the cross. The Son of God dying to redeem us from our sins. Do you know? They say the most interesting point in a sermon is the stopping point. That's where we are. I'm going to stop. Uh, let's look at the big picture first. So here we see where we are. Hosea brings the hope of a future return and the restoration from exile. 538 BC, after 70 years of exile, they did return to Jerusalem and started to rebuild. And for the next 500 years, the world awaited God's coming King and Messiah. As the prophets prepares the way for the coming King, Jesus will step into history. And that's the New Testament. Of course, we are at the end of the Old Testament. Um, as we finish this series, there are three other series in the New Testament which uh, you need to consider. Go to our resources link, encourage you to do it on your own or your life group. So lastly, what can we take away today? Number one, God is in control. That's the first point. Have you noticed in the um, passage, God is the, only, is the one who always takes the initiative. It is God who calls Hosea. It is God who gives the children their names. It is God who calls Hosea to love his wife again. It's not easy for Hosea uh, to see you know, the, the difficulty that he was in, the destruction of the city by enemies, and, and the, the, the whole nation having to pay the price for their disobedience and unfaithfulness. That seems to be the end. Yet he continues to cling on to the hope that God is in control. God is going to roll out his greater purposes for the world. And even as we look at our world today, we seem to be on the path of destruction. Crime, violence, immorality is on the rise. The church is on the decline global pandemics, disasters from climate change, continuing wars, and the list goes on. But, you know, the Bible gives us that hope. It predicts the final outcome. One day, Jesus will return to establish his kingdom and restore his creation. That's in Revelation. The second thing we need to know is to obey him wholeheartedly. Have you noticed something from the passage? When God calls Hosea to marry Goma, he obeys without question. 
Have you noticed that when God gave the names to the children, he never objected? Have you noticed when God calls him to love Goma again, he went without excuses? There are no ifs or buts or maybes in his life. We are reminded from the verse in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, Hosea was willing to fear God, to walk with God, to love God, to serve God wholeheartedly. This morning, as you listen to this, to this passage from Hosea, will you obey God like Hosea? Will you commit your life to the living God who desires the best for you? Will you be a Hosea and obey him wholeheartedly? Let us pray. We thank you, God, that you know the beginning from the end. We thank you for this wonderful life of Hosea that mirrors to us what you are doing in the world as you unfold your purposes and your kingdom. We know that it can be difficult at times, but you've given us hope. You've given us strength. You've given us your leading through your word and through your spirit. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.